This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry, to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and really excited for one of our last episodes of 2019. Um, I've got a good friend in Ron Lee on today, and Ron's got a lot of big words in his title, so I'm going to let him explain uh, what he does and where he is. But he's out in the Bay Area where, uh, where our co-host Pat and Andy live, and um, we are extremely excited to talk to Ron about his journey, uh, his career path, which is one, of, one that's really interesting and, and looking forward for him to share it today. Uh, and what we can kind of learn from it, and we'll go from there. Ron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jake. As usual, uh, always great to chat, especially you know in this capacity. I, um, in, in just kind of my own personal listening to your podcast, um, I understand the kind of the heavyweights that you've had on here before, and so um, unbelievably humbled and honored to, to to join you here. And um, again, you know, really great to catch up as well. No, absolutely. So you've got a role with EA Sports now, and uh, you, you know, take a step back, kind of explain how you got there. What are you doing there? Um, where where has the, the journey in sports taken you? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, sports has always been sort of a, a really big part of my life. Um, I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time growing up in different geographies. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong. I was born in Hong Kong. Um, and actually grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia and Canada with a little bit of, with a stint in between there in Singapore and Germany and been really lucky to see a lot of different parts of the world. But why sport, how sports kind of plays into that equation is um, sports was always just a key part of helping me settle into new places. You know, in addition to being a massive sports fan, um, it has a special place in my heart because of that. And, and I was always just fascinated by its pop culture, or sorry, its effect kind of on popular culture and, and how, you know, how how sports could move entire societies and i think that really ultimately set the foundation for i want for why i wanted to work in sports and i made the decision um a couple of years after i finished my undergrad to enroll at the university of oregon's warsaw sports marketing program um really wanted to chase something specifically in sports as opposed to going to a traditional business school program and um and, and really i was really fortunate coming out of oregon to be able to combine that international upbringing with that sports business savvy to help the PGA Tour grow its international business. Spent about four and a half years doing that and uh, an opportunity to join EA's competitive gaming division, which is the team that handles EA's esports business, um, kind of came up. And, and again, kind of similar themes to what I did at the PGA Tour, having to grow a new business unit within what is a very mature organization. And there was kind of an interesting element here at play in working in esports because when I was in my mid-teens, I think uh, right about near the end of high school, I actually played video games professionally for a little bit. And um, 
I guess how that's manifested itself uh, in adulthood is, and how I kind of think about my journey to EA is now with, uh, with, with some sports business savvy buildup from years of experience and schooling is, you know, 30 something year old Ron finally now gets a chance to go back and kind of build the dream that 15 year old Ron never had. And uh, it, it sounds a little cheesy, but you know why I really think my esports career ended is for two reasons. One is this, the, the, the title I played uh, did not have a lot of longevity, but the one that was probably bigger was that I really was just probably born too early. So um, <laughs> this, this, this kind of, you know, you kind of look at what, what's come of esports only in the U.S. And, and you, would, you could argue, you know, American esports is still very much in, in its infancy when you compare it to other parts of the world. So um, when you combine that personal factor and all of the professional experience I've gathered so far, um, this really was just an opportunity I couldn't turn down. And I, I've been here for about four months and uh, there's challenges left, right and center, but um, they are ones that I love and, and I'm thrilled to have a chance to, chance to take on. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into, you know, kind of what you're doing now in a little bit, but I do want to go back to, so you're 15, you're, com, you know, competitive gamer, they call them, right? Yes. I, to some extent, we could, we could call you almost a pioneer in the sports <laughs> landscape. Uh, I don't want to drop that big of a title on you, but, um, you know, you and I were talking a little bit earlier and you said, man, I got burnt out. And uh, that actually happens in, in sports, you know, across all our industry, right? Yes. They, I, I know there's plenty of guys I've played with in baseball that just got burnt out from the day-to-day, you know, grind of it. Um, there's other guys that got burnt out because it was a specialization thing and that's all they did. That's all they thought about. What was what was kind of behind the burnout in the video game scene? And is it one of those things that like you just, you've never touched it since 15 or do you kind of play here and there? You kind of learn some of the new games. Like what, what's that deal? Um, I can, I think personally for me at that time and, 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 I think one of the things that endears me to my colleagues who are much more steeped in the contemporary esports space is that that time spent way back when when like these are literally times when I was carrying a mon a CRT monitor that weighed as much as me to competitions and that's <laughs> sort of like very bootstrapped um I guess culture that esports was born from gives me a unique perspective into what we things that we try today and what appeals to gamers and but a big part of that community um I think was built on just intense intense avidity for gaming and I think that, that that's one of probably the primary divides between esports and traditional sports. Um, esports at that time, and actually still very much to an extent to this day, you can spend as much time playing as you want. The only barrier really there is just entirely mental. While that might sound like it's underestimating it, I think the effects of mental fatigue, um, as we as a society now know with kind of issues in mental health, really shouldn't be understated. Think about hordes of 14, 15 year olds just sitting in front of community, sitting in front of monitors for literally half a day at a time, doing nothing but gaming, uh, venting their frustrations in probably very much in, in, in wrong ways um, over time. And that really like wears out on you. And then you combine the fact that back then it was not that it's lucrative now, but it, it really, you were doing it really for the passion of that game that you liked then. And all of a sudden you, you add that all in and it becomes very easy to burn out when you are doing, when you are playing so much in a short period of time. Like literally at, at my peak, 
and I'm not going to, I promise I will not brag anymore, but <laughs> at my <laughs> peak, um, my, my team in my title was ranked third in the world. And at that time I was probably spending way too much time playing video games. Like, honestly, it was literally upwards of half a day. And, and because of that, it became extremely easy to get wow. burned out on it. And, and I don't think you see that as much today, but, um, or maybe it's a little bit more behind the scenes, but certainly where you see it now is among the streaming community. Think about it. I mean, uh, I think the mental health issues of being a streamer or being like a dedicated full-time streamer are now just starting to maybe get noticed. But um, if you are just in your, your average Twitch streamer is sitting at home in a room, really not spending time out. I mean, the, the thing is, it's not that they're all typically introverts. A lot of them are a little bit and that that's really their outlet. But Twitch, like, Streaming on Twitch or just streaming in general is a very hustly pursuit. You get as much out of it as much as you put in. And so that incentivizes people to kind of go all out. And gaming still kind of suffers from that, both from a competitive and also streaming standpoint. Um, those models are changing, but as they stand right now, they're barely conducive to people spending too much time doing one thing. And the burnout that I see in my friends in traditional sports, yes, you're right, you do see it there. And I think that burnout, you know, this is only my perception, but, you know, I know that I, I think that burnout comes from just kind of sticking to one schedule or feeling like that's all your life's worth is being poured into. And I think that's really where the commonality mm -hmm. is. But why the gaming burnout, I think, is so pronounced is because for now, it's fairly unfettered. You know, in traditional sports, I think you have coaches pushing you to do to, to, to kind of structure every part of your day. Whereas gaming is as much as you want to put in. And when physical barriers aren't in place um, and really it's all mental and doesn't really catch up to you until later on, that's how you really start creating that, I guess, compounding burnout effect, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, you can only be in the gym so much, but what, I mean, you can't like lift, what are you lifting your controllers? I mean, what, what's the... <laughs> What's the physical activity on the on the gaming side? Exactly, and so it's it's often very like hidden. It's not getting some, not going out enough, not socializing enough. Not I don't think it's not socializing in the sense that um, I think gamers are very sociable, but strictly in a online sense. So you don't really yeah. get that interaction and the exposure that we as humans biologically need now. That being said, that also is changing, um, but very slowly. So, for example, um, I do. Uh, I, I recently met the owner of Complexity Gaming, who is recent, who is the gaming organization that recently partnered with the Dallas Cowboys. And through that partnership, they their players are given access to sort of the same amenities that Dallas Cowboys players get in terms of dining, um, sleep counseling, kind of making sure you're taking care of yourself both physically and mentally. And so I don't think it's something that the gaming community doesn't care about, but it's just something that really hasn't been fostered in the community. That's so fascinating. So from, for someone who's working kind of in the tech space now and that, and has some sort of a, you know, inside outside perspective on the e-sports, e-gaming world for the general sports um, career enthusiast who's working in sports, maybe wants to work in sports, Maybe they're at the executive level where uh, they've been in their sport uh, or sponsorships or, or their area for a long time. Like what's the, what's the, you know, quick 30 second overview of, of what esports is, what it can become, what it's becoming, like what are the things that we just don't even know yet or don't even realize? 
No, that's a really, really good question. And, um, it, it, you know, I, I, I think hypothetically, when I hear that question, I, I want to put myself in front of maybe somebody that works at, say, like a Fortune 500 or a blue, blue chip Fortune 500 company or somebody that's kind of more steeped on the traditional sports side. And the one thing that message that I think I want to take to uh, the pub, you know people that aren't so versed in the space is that esports and gaming in general um, are not a marketing shtick. And I really, you know, I really think that they are here to stay. Um, as it stands today, the, e the the gaming industry is larger than the movie and music industry combined in the United States. We are see we are kind of transitioning into a society where gaming whether it be playing words with friends all the way up to hop, you know, finishing up a day of work and coming home and playing Apex Legends with your friends is becoming very much a normal thing. You know, we spoke earlier about dem demographic, uh, demography changes over time and how that might impact traditional sports. I really think fast forward 20, 30 years from now, we live in a world where people like you and I grew up playing video games and see that as a way to connect with others more deeply than ever before. And in the similar sense that we connect with people in our activities. So I would encourage people to think about it in that sense and not as a marketing vehicle to reach Gen Z. Interesting. So from what you've learned so far, kind of throughout your career, what are maybe the one or two sticking points of you know advice or insights that you, you typically give to those who are you know, trying to get into the industry, maybe those who are in the industry, maybe moving around a little bit, you know, you, you yourself have kind of, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, moved to all these different places, which by the way, uh, I've yet to go to Singapore, Germany, Colombia, or, you know, British Columbia or Hong Kong. And I'm extremely jealous. I would definitely uh, need to get on the travel train um, <laughs> at some point in time, but you've already lived, lived, you know, the, lived those lives and lived those places. So, um, you know, just from a an advice standpoint, whenever you get asked that question, what's what's kind of your general uh, response? Yeah, um, there's two things, you know, and, and it, actually it's so funny because this is these are kind of the things that I leave, you know, typically when I go out in lecture classrooms or, you know, uh, if, if I'm talking to any of my mentees, you know, typically the things that I'll leave people off with are one, don't treat sports as the ultimate end goal. Um, obviously, everybody that we talk to, aspiring sports professional people in the industry, we all enjoy what we do in working in sports because it's honestly, it's awesome. But I think you, you kind of run into the issue there where if you treat sports as the be all end all and, and you associate working in sports with sports fandom, I think you run into a real issue. Um, it's important to treat sports like really any other business vehicle. It is a place where savvy business acumen is welcome, regardless of whether it's in sports or not. And if you see, and, and in that sense, you kind of see sports fandom and understanding of sports as a modifier, as opposed to a core prerequisite in doing it. You know, I think the PGA tour is an interesting example. When I worked on the international business, when I worked on the international side there, it wasn't that the team was looking for somebody who is a diehard global sports fan. They just needed somebody who understood the world and was and understood what it took to grow that particular business in different parts of the globe. So I think when you treat working in sports as you would any other pursuit, you're able to look at it more objectively in the sense of you don't let that sort of emotional, any emotional sports fandom cloud what it is it that you're trying to do. But that being said, at the same time, you know, I think you always hear this in sports. People work in it. Just remind yourself at the end of the day, you're working in sports. This is awesome. It's fine. 
But in order to really focus on how you round up your hard skills and think about how you can provide value to a sports organization, I think you just have to look at it as a business. Where is the business lacking and what knowledge gaps can you fill? And that transitions into the second thing that I usually leave my students off with. And that's really just looking at what it is that you're good at, you know, and, and, and this kind of point is probably more geared towards students in the last or maybe in the home stretch of their academic careers, whether it be at the undergraduate or graduate level, it doesn't really matter. Take a good look at what is it that you're good at. Most of us, you know, I think the most typical spectrum that we see people on are typically either you're super creatively savvy uh, versus super quantitatively savvy. It's the tip, it's, you know, it's the quintessential left versus right brain argument. Um, not that being way out on one side is better or worse than the other, but I always encourage people to critically think about what they suck at. Um, and I'm not saying that just be, if you're a statistician, you should go learn how to be a copywriter, but I always am in the <laughs> habit of telling people just think about what you're not good at and figure out a way to make it so that you're at least somewhat adept. Um, so the things I'll always leave MBA students off with, because you always typically get corporate finance types in those classrooms is go to the journalism school at your school and take a class on how to tell a story that has no associations with any PNLs, any ROIs, just learn how to tell a good story. And it's important that to caveat that too with though is I don't think it's wise for people to turn themselves into a jack of all trades that's not really exceptional at anything. You know, I always think you should be, you should understand what your value proposition is kind of, you know, we spoke earlier about, about that around communicating data and quant, but you should always understand what you're really, really good at but at the same time, having a quality understanding of other major business functions, and especially in sports, understanding where those problems may arise in your organization or your sport or your industry is really helpful because that puts you into positions that you never thought would be, would, would kind of really be there. Like, so I'll give you an example. You know, when I first started the tour, I came in there as an analyst and, um, but little did I know that just kind of my own creative background and all the sponsorship experience that I built up in school kind of allowed me to kind of move into that and grow into that. So I was never really good at it, but just having that interest and the light experience in it helped me grow into those roles. And I think having that mentality towards things you don't understand um, is important. And, you know, the backwards example to the one I just listed would be a creative who doesn't know how to read a 10K. Not saying you have to be versed in it, but you should know how to at least take some stuff from it. And I know that's a tall charge depending on where, where someone's skill set lies, but um, I, those two qualities have really helped me out personally. So there's a little bit of anecdotal kind of evidence in there, but that's usually what, what I typically leave people off with. Well, and it's one of those things where it, it can also be skills that you're really good at, then that you can apply to that, I don't want to call it the jack of all trades, but you can go and do a lot of different things, but use that one skill, whether it's networking or whether it's relationship building or, um, you know, presenting or whatever the, that skill is, right? Uh, you can go and use that across multiple, um, you know, industries, sports, et cetera, and you'll still have different perspectives, different experiences that you'll gain um, and, along the way, learn some newer skills or skills that you maybe find yourself exposed to, like you were saying, uh, in different situations, right? 
um, in terms of, you know, the networking and being able to use your, your relationships or, you know, the people that you know across, like you're saying, the globe or the world, um, you know, versus just in Florida or just in California or, you know, in the Northeast, right? Like having that, that different skill set of different types of relationships probably can help. 100%. And I think the best example in my life is uh, when I was, when I was in, when I was in my, un, when I was in, when I was, sorry, when I was uh, in my undergrad, one of the, one of the skills that I organically developed while making t-shirts for my fraternity chapter <laughs> was um, actually learning how to design. I learned how to use the Adobe suite just kind of organically over time. And that, that ended up sprouting into my own design business that I ran mostly throughout my undergrad and a couple of years after. I initially thought at that time that that would be kind of like a compartmentalized skill. Did it, done it, next. But actually being able to leverage all those design skills into how I present a sponsorship pitch, um, how I simplify you know, insights from a deep, deep dive into some quantitative data has proven to be an incredible asset just for myself. It makes me look smarter than I actually am. It helps me communicate. <laughs> it, it helps me communicate the tomes of data that I work with now in at EA into something that anybody can read. So yeah, I mean, even little skill, like, I mean, you never, you never know what will come in handy later on, but having a diversified, I guess, skill set is, it can be really handy. And I think people lose sight of that because every, you know, it started a long time ago. We, we, we wanted everyone to be jack of all trades and we wanted everybody to be really good at certain things. And there's probably some compromise in there and I've been lucky to find it organically, not by design. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and so let's, let's visit that real quick because I think it's a fascinating topic and it's probably widely debated or people just have different perspectives on it based on their generation or, you know, where they come from or their background, but Jack of all trades versus being an expert in one subject and then, you know, more or less climbing the ladder or growing within that one subject versus, you know, getting similar experience across different sports, different industries, maybe doing a little bit of operations, marketing, finance, you know, selling, like, I mean, across the board, at, at what point is there a, almost like a line in the sand of like, you got to choose, right? Yeah. Is that kind of the compromise you're talking about a little bit? Yes. And I, despite my sort of, uh, I guess, preference or me speaking to people on having a diversified skill set. I still really do think that it, it, to your point, it's important to draw a, li a line in the sand somewhere of, okay, I'm good at a bunch of stuff, but I have to be really good at one thing. Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to describe yourself, what you do, what your specialities are, what your passions are, even if you want to get on a personal emotional level, um, you just have to be able to convey that. And to some degree, you have to understand what that North star of your own life and your professional career is. So uh, I think despite, wanting to have us, you know, despite recommending that people have a diverse skill set, I do think it's still really important at the end of the day. Are you going to be an operations specialist? Are you going to be a specialist around events? Are you going to be a statistician? Are you going to be a data scientist? And I think it's really important at the end of the day, you understand what your North Star is. Well, and, and in terms of North Star and understanding, you know, what you're capable of or what you can, what kind of impact you can make, uh, let's talk a little bit about the perspectives in, you know, yes, you lived in all those different places around the globe, but is it possible to get some of those similar perspectives just by traveling alone or just traveling on your own or going and, 
you know, going to Australia to work an event or whatever the case might be? Like what, how, how do people think about trying to gain some of those global perspectives? Yeah. And that's a really good question because, um, you know, I've been really lucky that way in the sense that I've been able to see and visit and experience a lot of different cultures. And in my work internationally, and this is a kind of funny thought to think about, but I, I, I have never really considered direct international experience to be a prerequisite for working in any global capacity. But the caveat to that, I think, is having experienced different cultures and different societies help somebody open their mind in a way that not having those experience those experiences may not facilitate and the way i kind of break it down when 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 people kind of ask me about what it is what is it like working out you know primarily outside the borders of the u.s versus within is that people who work internationally just get it there's a certain it factor and i don't think that it factor is representative of someone's merit, but rather their, like the way they think. You just have to understand that when you're in Japan, Korea, Brazil, honestly, it doesn't matter. If you're in any other country that things are just going to be different. And people who have experienced that directly, whether it be through tourism, whether it be through living, something in between, um, are, are just a little bit, are, are likelier to get it. You know, and I, and I think one of the things, and I, I can probably say this to some degree of confidence as, as a non-American, that, you know, the thing that the world is most wary of is an American coming into their borders and telling them, well, this is how we do it here. So ergo, you should do it this way. And I think that that sort of attitude, that might not be true anymore, but it's certainly, I think, the, the preconception that a lot of the world has. And so I, I do think to a certain degree that people who haven't experienced that are, are are a danger of running into those roadblocks. But that being said, again, going back to my earlier point, when I was at the tour, we're talking about adding people to our team or even now in my day to day, when I'm thinking about um, whether it's working with my, my, my teams internationally, whether we're thinking about working with a non-American brand, things that are just important when I'm thinking about who should work on these efforts are, do, are they open-minded? Do they get that things are just going to be different? And if you feel like you don't have a perspective on that, then absolutely, I would encourage you to, at some point in your life, um, spend some time abroad, you know, spend some time overseas, understand how people think differently. But also at the same time, you know, the U.S. is such a fantastic collage of different cultures that I think is, you know, you're going to get exposed. Any given American is going to get probably to some degree get exposures to different cultures. And I, I think the more opportunity you give yourself to do that, the more you will understand that different perspectives and different cultures exist. And it's, it, that's a bit of a soft ask and, and, and you do have to be self-aware of pursuing it. But um, that is what my own personal experiences have told me. No, that's a great perspective. And I think it's so interesting because growing up, uh, you know, you were always told, you know, wanting to go into the sports industry, especially even, you know, having wanted to go into the baseball industry and, and working in it, um, it was always like, you got to learn Spanish. You got to learn Spanish, right? Like a lot of the players talk, you know, speak Spanish. They are from the Dominican. They, you know, there's, you've got all the academies down there. I've had, you know, friends who have coached in the Dominican and lived down there. And it's, you know, and it's totally a different um, set of skills in terms of, you know, going from, I remember, you know, Spanish class in high school to 
you know, actually trying to hold a conversation is a completely different story, right? And so I think a lot of people jump to the international experience as being able to speak the language. But to your point, it's not necessarily the language. And I've, and I've, I've also heard that if you just make an effort, right, that's a lot of what counts. Obviously, uh, if you can be extremely fluent, that's, that'll get you even further. But um, I think the perspectives you just provided in terms of being able to uh, at least just think differently, um, that's certainly you know, impactful in terms of seeing a situation uh, at hand just a little bit differently to, to ask another question or ask why a second time, right, about something. Yeah. Would, would that, uh, does that make sense? It may, It's completely true. And I think a really good example I'll, I'll draw from my tour experience here is, you know, one of the things that we try, that, that the tourist spends a lot of its time trying to do is cultivate stars from different cultures. And and because of the way the, gol- the golf's competitive ecosystem is set up, it, it, that it requires players from foreign countries to move to the U.S. for periods of time. And, um, you know, anecdotally, I can definitely tell you that um, a lot of these international players had tough time settling in the U.S. You know, these guys are stars overseas when they're playing at home. But then when they come to the U.S., for some reason, things just kind of fall off a cliff. It couldn't have been just that. But you don't necessarily have to speak their own languages to really understand why they haven't acclimated or why they're having a tough time. Just understand that things are different. Like when a, when a, when a, when some, when a kid from China comes over and he hasn't lived in the U S you don't have to speak Chinese with him to understand that life is just different. It's hard. Maybe you can find other ways to accommodate. It's not all language. Sure. Does speaking his language help him? Yes. But so does like, telling so does so does working with him and understanding that things are different we can go try to find you some maybe more local food here that that's a little closer to your own taste just even those Mm -hmm. little bits of effort really help and to your point it's trying you know I can't even tell you how often I've seen in, in my time abroad that just simply the act of trying has gotten a foreigner way further than they ever would have sure no that's a great point and Uh, It's certainly, yes, to your point, like the player side, it's so fascinating where, you know, sometimes people question, well, they've got so much talent, but why aren't they doing well? Well, maybe they're homesick, right? Like, did did anyone ever think that they weren't going to be homesick, you know, living halfway across the world, right? And not having any friends or family or, you know, all that sort of stuff, Um, living in a different type of home. and, And some, you know, some players maybe lived at home until they went you know, to the U.S. or, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly interesting to, you know, as our sports across all parts of the industry are getting more global, right, to understand that perspective. Um, and I'll bring it back to a point you made earlier. It's a business, right? So as, as the businesses get more global, just as any other, you know, Fortune 500 company is global, right? Uh, we all, as we, you know, understand these different perspectives, certainly impactful and valuable and, you know, a different, uh, a different skill set that, uh, you can develop along the way and, and along the years. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it, it is to your point. Um, yes, is, 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 is the U S by far the most developed sports market in, in, in the world by far, but, you know, fast forward a decade from now that disparity is either going to be gone or it will be much smaller. And it, it, it behooves anybody trying to get into it to understand it from a global perspective, because there sure as heck is a lot of interesting stuff out there. No, most definitely. And especially in the job landscape as well. But one 
one question I want to kind of wrap up our episode with is um, as you've moved into the Bay area and, you know, you've kind of, you've, you've gone from coast to coast and, you know, like you said earlier, lived in, in multiple countries, what for someone who's, you know, taking the risk and, and taking the chance and going to, you know, name that city in wherever across the country to take a job, to get their foot in the door, or, you know, they're taking a risk to go from New York to San Diego and uh, they got to get out of the cold or, you know, whatever the case might be, what's kind of your uh, couple uh, Ron Lee pieces of advice mm-hmm. in, in terms of moving and adapting to a new place. And, it, you know, it's never easy, right. But hearing it from someone else who's, who's done it is uh, certainly interesting to, uh, to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of my own personal experiences are injected into this answer, but I think when you make a decision like that, and I think the gravitas of it gets a little larger, the older you are because of, I guess, just how life and how, you know, people kind of get more established in their habits and their week to week and their routines, the older you get. So it gets a little bit tougher. I think the older you get, but I think the ultimate thing that makes it, I don't want to say easier, but the thing that definitely facilitates it is, um, understanding really why is it that you're doing what you're doing and, and and part of that is it really investing yourself in that decision if there are any doubts around the decision that you've made um, I think that will manifest itself as you're settling in but I think also part of it is just not trying to think about where you came from you know also and I'm not trying to say you should forget your past but if you dwell on it um I think that compounds things. And, and as somebody who's moved, you know, while I was going to business school, I spent a little bit of time in Singapore. I thought I was going to live there, settled down a little bit. Nope, came right back. And I think you just have to really have a good understanding of what is, of why you're making the decisions that you do. And I think that actually instead, that, that really doesn't have a lot of ten, tangents to sports, but rather really just uh, the way in which we make decisions as humans. And I, I actually have encouraged a lot of my friends and uh, for some reason, a lot of my friends in my own circles have made pretty big life-changing professional moves lately. And they, they like to use me as a soundboard. And, and actually I would argue that I spent most of, I spend most of my time not challenging them, although it definitely sounds like I'm challenging them because I'm, I'm quite analytically <laughs> rigorous, but the, the, where I really spend time encouraging my friends and my colleagues to reflect when they're thinking about decisions like this is why tell me everything that's going into your mind as to why you're making this decision. Um, are they symptoms or are, are, is what you're experiencing right now, the dissatisfaction with where you live or where you're working? Is that a symptom of something or is that truly something that you're having issues with? And so I always encourage my friends to rigorously think through why they're making the decision that they're thinking about making. And um, I think doing that gives people a little bit more closure or it allows them to make it or allows them to live with that decision a little bit easier. And that's kind of pro- the process I put myself through um, every time. And really, to be quite honest, Jake, I, I mean, this decision to come over to EA was really the, the first major professional decision of my life. And I, and I put myself through that process as well. And, you know, asking myself, what are the motivators behind this decision? Are they short term? Are they long term? Um, you know, and I think uh, it's a soft answer, but I, I you know, you don't you don't really want to, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't want to make, you don't want to have made these decisions for salary or a title or because you really wanted to get in a certain space. They have to make sense for the entirety of your life. 
Um, and as you get older, that becomes even more important because where you work is only a component of, of your life. You know, you, it has to be a place that you can grow and live in personally and professionally. Um, and so, sorry, that's a little bit of a backwards answer. No, you. that's that great. You that's should, great. Yeah, I, mean, I think the process, my, pro, my answer looks more at the process than actually how you deal with the decision. But that's really kind of how I think huh. about that process. Well, how, how you deal with the decision is, I would say, A, either a story for another day or <laughs> B, um, you know, I always like to use the line, every decision you make is uh, you, make the, you make the right decision, right? And, um, you know, you can put all the pros and cons up on a board that you want. And some are very, to your point you made in the, in the episode earlier, you know, some are very, um, uh, we'll call them, you, you know, like the logo, the title, the the things that are, you know, maybe seem uh, sexy on the outside, right? Um, but when you truly ask yourself, you know, why are you doing this? Or what are the skills I'm going to acquire in this experience? Who are the people I'm working with? Who am I working for? Um, this compensation matter, matter to me at this point in my life, right? Like sometimes it doesn't matter to you when you're young, but then if you start to have a family and you're getting older and then, you know, maybe it matters more, right? And all those things that you were saying is like, how does it affect yourself? Not only in that instant gratification moment, but how does it affect you two years, three years, five years, you know, 10 years down the road, you don't have a glass ball to where you can, um, you know, see those answers. Right. But it's, how do you make every decision your decision? Um, and I think you, you know, you, you alluded to it. It's like going through that process. Right. If you get the process, if you trust the process, you know, hopefully you get to the, the X marks the spot. Right. I hope so. Yeah, I, I'd hope <laughs> so. And I'd encourage, you know, you don't want to get lost in it. But I think overall, a lot of us could use some critical introspection, you know, really like what is it that drives you? And just like a mission statement should really guide all of the companies that uh, guide all the company's decision making so should your own, right? I mean, to be honest, I feel like you should hold yourself to a higher standard yeah. because it's your life. And so understanding the things that are important to you um, as they relate to the decisions that you're going to make. And then to your point, when you do make those decisions to not second guess them, um, I think will get you not to guaranteed success, but I think it'll certainly help you avoid a lot of unnecessary <laughs> stress and second guessing. You might get 70% fastballs, 30% curveballs as opposed to the opposite, right? Exactly. It's very if apt. If we really want to dive into the data. It's very apt for you to, for you to use both data and baseball as an analogy. There you go. Well, Ron, really appreciate uh, having you on today on, on the uh, Life in the Front Office podcast. Um, certainly you know, encourage uh, you to come on again in 2020. Um, but, you know, really looking forward to seeing what you uh, what you do at EA Sports and, and the whole gaming world. It's certainly fascinating to watch uh, it because it's I feel like it's growing every single day. Um, and it has been before we even really even knew about it right back when you were 15. So, <laughs> um, you know, ruling, ruling the gaming world uh, at third at the, the what is it, third world rankings that was that, that what you had something like that i try not to reflect I, like I try not to reflect <laughs> back too much on my gaming world like a dad dusting off his old participation trophy <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome 
Well, hey, have a happy holidays, and uh, we'll certainly talk to you soon. Thanks, Jake. It was a pleasure. All right. I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and help us continue to grow. Thanks.